0: All right, man, here we are, episode five of AP World Review. Bet you thought you never would make it here, but here we are, man, halfway through it, and this is the big one, the big cheese. This is it, the Industrial Revolution, the domino of all dominoes. This is the one, this unit, the Industrial Revolution. This is what makes Europe the top dog. This is why we study Europe. In the context that we do is because from this point on, Europe will be the most dominant continent in the world, especially if you include America in that as well. But Europe is the driving force behind all of modern world history from unit five onward. Not to say other areas aren't important because they are. But Europe is the driving force And this unit is what makes them the driving force. Love the Industrial Revolution. So Let's just kind of jump in this unit and see where it takes us. Okay, so this unit is just revolutions in general. You start with this concept of the Enlightenment, and I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. I'm going to make an actual separate video uh, later on, just because I, I love the Enlightenment and the arguments that it comes about. The main thing is this: people kind of realize that like ruling by a divine right is stupid. It's, it just doesn't make any sense, and that people believe that citizens have certain rights that the government can't take away right and you look at you know the premier example of course life liberty and the pursuit of happiness right like those are essentially the rights that a citizen has these are natural god-given rights that a government can't take away <clears throat> so that's that's the enlightenment and in that, that kind of line of thinking spawns all of these revolutions. Suddenly colonies are like, wait a minute. Why should we be under this government where we don't have representation? Right? Because that's that's essentially what, what, you know, all four of the major revolutions, that's essentially what it boils down to is we're not represented in government. So why should we allow these people to govern over us? And the first of these revolutions is a little thing you might've heard of. It's a kind of a big deal. Um, that would be the American Revolution. Um, of course, famous slogan, no taxation without representation. You know, this is a world history class, not an American history class. So not going to go into a ton of detail. You know, hopefully you know enough about it. But um, yeah, so American Revolution kind of starts it off. One thing I do want to draw your attention to and just make sure you understand is that the American Revolution was a political revolution. It was solely about Independence there weren't any social class movements, changes, you know, slavery was still a thing. Women's rights still didn't exist. Like, you know, typically if you were a white male landowner before the war, you kind of had the same social status after the war. There, There really wasn't a big difference. And so it's a political revolution. Okay. But it does start this and you have the declaration, Um, And it kind of, everybody just kind of piggybacks off of what the Americans did. That brings us to Paris-de-France, that brings us to France, okay? France is the exact opposite. They're not really overthrowing a government as much as they're doing just this dramatic social class upheaval, okay? Um, You know, honestly, you know, kind of thinking about it, it's kind of like the Bolshevik revolution where there's people, the lower class is upset. They overthrow the government. They overthrow the social class system and install a new one. Um, and, that, and that kind of what happens in France. Um, you get the Reign of Terror. You get the guillotine killing people. Uh, and then this this little guy, this, this tiny little little guy here, comes into power. Napoleon Bonaparte, the leader, the French general. Five six. Okay, five, six, little man syndrome, little man syndrome. But for real, Napoleon comes into power out of this reign of terror, okay? And and again, just kind of thinking about it, it's so crazy how this is like the Bolshevik Revolution where you have this kind of internal civil war, then the most ruthless takes over, and everybody's like, yeah, we're fine with that because, you know, we're scared. So, yeah, Napoleon, woo, right? Uh, Yay, Joseph Stalin. Yeah, I don't know if anybody ever said, yay, Joseph Stalin, uh, (laughs) in at least a minute. Uh, Anyways. So Napoleon comes into power, uh, you know, basically takes over all of Europe. Uh, will try to take over Russia, fail. Uh, England beats him at the Battle of Waterloo in 1850, blah, 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 spreads nationalism. Um, that That's French, Napoleon, okay? Now we're going to go back across the Atlantic here. We're going to go to Haiti. Uh, Haiti is a French colony in the Atlantic. It's uh, sugar. That's the first immediate thing that come to your mind is if it's a colony in the Atlantic, grow sugar. Okay, so naturally with sugar comes slaves. Uh, You have about a 300 to one slave population, 300 slaves to everyone, uh, for lack of a better word, master, uh, for lack of a better term. And so the Haitians, you know, they have enough educated slaves uh, for them to kind of get these enlightenment ideas and for them to kind of come to this conclusion of. Why are we allowing these people to rule us? Why don't we just rule over ourselves? Uh, Toussaint L'Overture leads Haitian Revolution Part 1, overthrows and, you know, kills all the white people. That's what he does. Uh, reinstalls slavery, basically, uh, more or less. Makes a deal with Napoleon, reinstalls slavery. Uh, they get rid of him. New guy comes in, basically does the same thing. And then Haitian kind of undergoes, like, you know, multiple civil wars, what direction they want to go. Uh, big thing with Haiti is that it's both a political, in the in the sense that they overthrew the French government, and social, in that there were new social classes. Okay, French was basically an entirely social revolution. Uh, yeah, they overthrew the king and established, you know, a new form of government. But they were still French. They weren't. They weren't overthrowing a government and establishing. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? Like they weren't like, like American was getting rid of England. Haitians getting rid of France. France is still France. Okay, they're not. They're not just. They're not succeeding. They're not gaining their independence from anybody. Uh, so that's why it's more of a social revolution. Um, and then you have the Latin American revolutions. Uh, Mexico undergo a revolution, I mean, Guatemala, I mean, you name it. Like, right? all those South American countries undergo a revolution at a certain point. The main thing with the Latin American revolutions is 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 this. They're not united, first of all. And second of all, it's gonna start this kind of period of constant disarray. The United States is united. That I mean, that's kind of in the name, right? Like United States is Pretty united in their goal and their kind of identity of belonging to a nation, particularly after the Civil War. The Latin American countries, not so much. Okay. A little bit, a little bit more regional identity uh, than, than what the United States had. So Latin American Revolution kind of puts them behind the eight-ball in terms of industry, uh, industry and all that fun stuff. Okay. All right. Take a break here. Okay. A little, take, take a little breath here. Okay. So that is. Enlightenment, the four major revolutions, and Napoleon and nationalism summed up. Now we get to the industrial revolution. This is it, guys. This is this is the pinnacle point in world history. This is this is the time that you can look at in world history and say, this is where everything changed. The industrial revolution. This is why Europe's able to conquer. The rest of the world, this is why they are the modern force, the driving force of modern world history is because of this. So what was the Industrial Revolution? Like, what are we even talking about here? Well, the Industrial Revolution was just modernization. It was bringing Europe specifically, who still really doesn't have the technologies that the Eastern countries did, that your Middle Eastern Asian countries did. And the industrial revolution is going to change that. It's going to bring them from, you know, maybe being a little bit behind to on par to being truly way ahead and advanced. Okay. Where they are so technologically superior to every single country other than Europeans that no one else stands a chance. Okay. We're talking about, you know, you look at colonization unit four, you saw how technology helped Europeans conquer powerful civilizations like the Aztec and the Inca with something simple like gunpowder and horses. Now imagine that on an even grander scale. Now Europeans have enough technology to conquer China, Japan, African nations. Okay. That's, that's what kind of, that's what the industrial revolution does is it's not these isolated regions anymore. Now it is true global world powers that are being taken over India that are being taken over by Europeans. Okay. So uh, where does the industrial revolution start? Well, I mean, it starts in England. Why England? Are they just vastly superior to everybody? Eh, maybe, maybe, but really here's what it boils down to. One money. England had money. They got rich from their colonies. Okay. They were rich. They had resources. Okay. So Not only did they have money though, okay, because you gotta have money to industrialize, okay. You gotta have money to make money. Common saying works here. But they had a government willing to invest money and to protect businesses. Okay, I'm gonna get a little opinionated here. It might offend some of y'all, but deal with it, okay? What separated England and say India? Because both of them had the same technology, same kind of economy going, but England was capitalist. India still was kind of this like mercantilist theory, like, uh, you know, government's going to kind of run everything. England had this pure, almost pure capitalist system in place. Okay. And regardless of your opinions on capitalism, right, if you hate it, you hate it, you know, whatever. I'm not going to change your mind here on that. Capitalism spawns innovation. It does. That's that's just a fact. It spawns innovation. It allows people to take risk. And that is why England was able to industrialize. As a country, they had money, but they also had the economic system in place that allowed them to use said money to advance, to innovate, right? Now, were there some bad things going on, which we'll get into, you know, here in a minute? Yeah, sure. Of course. You know, capitalism's not perfect, but with capitalism, it enabled private citizens to start putting up their money and run a business, which in turn means I can hire people, which means they're making money, which means they're buying stuff, which means other people can open a business. And it's that, that cycle that we talked about, that capitalism cycle that, that just keeps spinning and spinning of buying, selling, buying, selling, making, whatever. OK, you know, spending, making, spending, making. When you have that cycle, man, it's mm, it just hits. God, ah, it just hits and it's beautiful. OK, but enough opinion about it. The, the fact remains, they were capitalists. They had money. And that's part of the reason why they were able to industrialize. OK, um, they also had an abundance of natural resources in England, particularly the driving force of the Industrial Revolution, coal. OK, coal was huge. It made everything go right? We're no longer relying on either manpower or horsepower, right? Which I'll still find that hilarious because, you know, we talk about machines in terms of horsepower. I don't know why that's funny. I just think that, I just think it is. But yeah, anyways, enough about that. But we're going to rely on trains, on steamships, okay? We're going to rely on more machinery to do the work rather than manpower or even animal power at this point, right? Now we're machine power. Um, and a couple other things that England had going for it. One, it's small, so it's a lot easier to get things from the mines into um the factories. You know, you look at, for example, the United States, you know, we're a huge country. It, it takes a lot to get the mine, you know, the, the iron from the mines all the way to the factories in the cities, right? I mean, it, it takes a little bit more to do so than what England had to do. Same thing with Russia. That's that's why we'll industrialize kind of late. Okay, um, you know people talk about ingenuity. Like, yeah, they had some good ideas. Um, Most of the are around the textile industry, which is the making of clothes, basically. Um, you know, yeah, they had that. But remember that industrial revolution is two parts. We're talking about part one right now. This is steam engine. This is um, textile industry, the makings of the factory system. Like, like this is the industrial revolution part one. Um, interchangeable parts, things like that. Okay. So it will eventually spread, okay? It, it'll start, you know. So what I wanted to talk about now was <clears throat> how society in general was changed. What, what made the Industrial Revolution, like what, what did the Industrial Revolution truly change other than, okay, it's a bunch of new technology that you've got and they got ahead. But what really changed in these societies? Because there were a lot, a lot of changes here. So the kind of first one is it it brought about women and children into the labor force. Okay. Not that women and children hadn't actually worked, but like truly as the, I don't want to say backbone, but truly as like members of the labor system where they're in the factories, they're working just as much as the men are like they are in the factories on the ground, truly, truly working. Um, And I don't think that had really ever happened in world history until the industrial revolution. Okay. And the thing with the industrial revolution is the job was just so simple that, that women and children could do it. It was, you know, you're pressing this button or you're doing the same repetitive task all day, every day, you know, like, Oh, school, you know? Um, But it was so simple that women and children could do it. And so they entered the workforce in droves, man. and, you know, it's kind of ironic that they entered the workforce to get this, to get this kind of more personal freedom, but it also kind of handicapped them because they were getting paid less than men were. And they were still to the point of, well, you're only ever going to be a minimum wage laborer, which minimum wage didn't even exist. Okay. And so, and, and you know, supports important about the factory conditions, you know, you're working 16 hours a day, you don't have you know, very good electricity. There's no safety requirements. There's no minimum wage. There's no, you know, you get hurt on the job and you're out for a week. You don't get paid. Like there's no workman's comp. Nothing like that existed. You showed up, you worked, you might got a break, you got paid, you went home. And you repeated that over and over and over again until you died or you couldn't work or you didn't need to work or whatever three happened. Um, you know, I mean, it was common for children as, as young as four or five years old, to begin to work in the factory on that system of you know 16 hours a day. Right? Um, you know, people used to talk about how they would drug their babies um so that the babies would sleep during during their shift. Cause they had, you know, they didn't have anybody to take care of their babies. So they just brought them to work, drugged them, and then, you know, did did their job there. So I mean conditions were terrible. I mean they were just they were just awful. It, it was it was pretty common for someone to have lost a limb. You know, by the time they turned a teenager um, or, or, you know, just a fang or something. So it's pretty common by that point. We also see the introduction of a middle class. Okay. Capitalism relies on this. Capitalism relies on a middle class, particularly a, a good one or a big one. Okay. What happened in the Industrial Revolution is you get the rich class who own the factories or own the land, you know, have money, whatever okay, these people don't necessarily work the day-to-day operations, okay, these are the owners of the companies, the, the, you know, stock investors, the bank, you know, whatever. Then you have your poor class, right, your bottom class, these are these are people who are working the minimum wage, quote-unquote minimum wage jobs, okay, they're surviving, they're, they're working paycheck to paycheck, they're glad they have a job just so they can eat, but then you have your middle class, okay. Your middle class is your lawyers, your accountants, your managers. Okay, this is what you would call quote unquote your white-collar jobs. People that didn't really do the manual labor, but they still had to go to work on a daily basis. Okay. They still weren't rich enough to where they could, like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go on vacation in the Bahamas for a month. Now, I mean, they said to work, but they weren't living paycheck to paycheck. They could slowly save up that money. That's that's the middle class. And the thing with the middle class is they're making enough money to survive. And so all that extra money can then be spent. And when, if the middle class is spending money, that perpetuates this cycle of capitalism, of that buy, um, you know, that make money, spend money, make money, spend money type type cycle that capitalism relies on. Um, and so the Industrial Revolution brought about the middle class. and That's kind of the big one there. Is that middle class, all right? Um, we will see urbanization be a big deal. People moved to the factories because that's where the jobs were. The jobs weren't out in the fields anymore because of the agriculture revolution. There wasn't there wasn't a need for farmers, so people moved to where the jobs were, which is in the cities. Okay, um, and the cities were just absolutely disgusting. Pollution rampant, right? Like nobody had a clue what pollution was. So, cities were a disgusting, disgusting place, very loud places, uh, disease places. Like, you know, people literally packed their farm and moved to the cities. Y- you would see a dead cow in the middle of a street. Like, imagine you're walking down uh, Main Street here, and you just look, and there's a dead cow surrounded by human feces like it's terrible i mean it's awful working conditions people people didn't have you know indoor plumbing didn't exist right like people didn't clean the streets like it just like naturally decayed the rain will come and wash it all away and then we're all good right like that that's how people you know operated so you know just something to kind of think about there and then one last thing here one last thing about the industrial revolution is turning to part two of the industrial revolution once we get electricity, we see kind of all around that same time, about 1870-ish, we start to see the second half of the Industrial Revolution, which is going to be led by your new empires like America, Russia, Japan, Germany. And we're, going to, we're also going to see a lot more reforms. We're going to see child labor laws. We're going to see minimum wage laws. We're going to see workmen's comp. We're going to see maternity leave. Labor unions better working conditions, okay? We're going to start to see that in the second half of the Industrial Revolution, which was electricity, steel, oil, okay, things like that. And this is really when America industrialized, you know, 1880, 1890, um, you know, you start to see the skyscrapers going up in New York, like, you know, electric trolleys running through the streets. Like, that's the second Industrial Revolution, airplanes, Um automobiles, like that is the second industrial revolution. And that's also when we start to see some reform movements like cleaning the streets and, and things like that. Okay. Um, and eventually through through all this, eventually you'll start to see women's rights, um, you know, as early as, you know, late 1800s. You know, but most, most people by, you know, 1920, 1930s have, have given women the right to vote. Um, and it you know it does kind of depend on the country, but typically, typically about 1920, most 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 places have given women the right to vote. Okay, so that is unit five, man. That's all there is to it. Uh, keep listening to these, man, and best of luck on the AP exam.